0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved Orthodox Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are at the portals of the festival, the great festivity of the Nativity, according to the flesh of our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to prepare us for this great festivity of the incarnate dispensation of the Son of God, the Church prepares us by recalling all the righteous, all the saints, all the prophets, all the patriarchs that came before the coming of our Savior. So today we read in the Holy Gospel the genealogy, according to St. Matthew, from Abraham all the way to our Savior. And yesterday we read the, uh, in the Synaxarion of the Feast the whole genealogy according to St. Luke, starting from Adam, going all the way to our Savior. And there's a whole uh, service dedicated to the forefathers that we chanted yesterday and the Sunday before as well. So the Church puts a lot of stress, a lot of importance of preparing ourselves for the Nativity by recalling these people, (coughs) these holy ones, by bringing to memory who these people are and what they did. Why so? Why is this important? There are many reasons, so let's go through them. First and foremost, it was important for the Evangelist to put the genealogy, that is, the ancestry of our Saviour, to show that this Lord Jesus from Nazareth, who did many miracles and who was crucified and then rose from the ascended to the heavens, was truly the Messiah, because he fulfilled those signs that the Messiah should have, that is, that he was from the house of david and he was from the tribe of judah for that is what the prophetic book said that the messiah the holy one of god when he shall come to redeem his people he shall be of the this generation of the tribe of judah and of the house of david therefore that is what the genealogies tell us that is why it was important for the for the uh, evangelist to put it and for the church to recall it constantly more importantly it was important, It is important to put all these people, these genealogies and holy people that went before our Savior to show that God truly became man. His incarnation was a reality. He has kin, he has ancestry according to his humanity. Just as he has, no, he has uh, the only unbegotten father as, as his heavenly father, it, uh, uh, according to his divinity, according to his humanity, he has a whole generation of people that came before him it uh, the, by this the church stresses the reality of the incarnation that God didn't simply appear it wasn't an appearance, that a semblance or that of humanity that he took, but he took flesh from a certain person who was a daughter of certain people and these people were also children of certain people, therefore the reality of the incarnation is being stressed in this, beloved Christians that God truly became man from certain people in certain time, he entered true into human history he accepted to have these ancestry according to his humanity to carry with him our DNA our flesh and blood in truth and not in semblance it also tells us of how patiently God worked for our salvation that is for his own incarnation and how this righteous people yearned to be participants of great mystery For when Adam fell, Adam and Eve fell, right away God enacted the plan of his salvation. And what was the plan of his salvation? That from these generations of generations of people that would follow Adam, one would be found so pure, so holy, who could give hospitality to God in her soul and in her womb, so that God could take from her flesh Uh, as being lent to him so that he could become human for us. This is why God waited generation after generation, because it wasn't easy to find such a person. Because after the fall of Adam and Eve, Darkness had come upon humanity, upon God's creation. And darkness had had such power of humanity that it was here and there that righteousness shone only. But in, 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 in grand things, it was really sin and passions and idol worship and all these things had prevailed over God's creation. Therefore, God chooses one generation after another. He works patiently one generation after another so that after a time when the, when it, it has, he has cleansed and purified a certain pedigree, certain line of succession of people, from them will come this beautiful plant who is called the Most Holy Theotokos, the Virgin Mary, who will blossom with the fruits, that is uh, our Savior himself. So, among sons of Adam, our Savior chose Seth, that from his generation should come, uh, should be this uh, succession. But from among the children of Seth, all, even they fell and were alert by the daughters of Cain, and therefore it were taught by, by, by them all the wickedness. So that among the face of the earth, none was left save Noah, who practiced righteousness. Therefore him he saved from the deluge, and from the sons of Noah he chose Sam to be the one who is righteous. And from the sons of Sam, from all the people that populated the earth, it was Abraham that he chose. And San Sir Leon has a very beautiful explanation, how an insight of why Abraham was the chosen one. He said that Uh, When uh, God looked at the hearts of men, he found only Abraham who was truly yearning to be participant of God's dispensation towards men. For he knew that a promise was given to Sam that from his children will be risen he from whom will come the Messiah. Therefore, Abraham sought out in his heart, with all his heart, to be this Person from who will be participant of this great plan of salvation that God was enacting for humanity for this was this, this memory that a Messiah should come was there present in the people who truly were faithful to God and from, from Abraham it was Isaac and from Isaac it was Jacob he, he chose not Esau, and from sons of Jacob Judah and from sons of descendants of Judah it was house of David and his house, and from David came. Uh, Most Holy Theotokos. Therefore, we see how generation after generation, dozens and hundreds of generations, our Saviour was patiently working, patiently working with us so that to cleanse one time after another, People so that from them would come out the Theotokos, And we see how these people themselves, the holy ones, who kept the memory of God's promise of salvation also yearned to participate in this. They yearned with their whole heart to be part of this plan that God had for our salvation. Therefore, this is why it is important that this church puts the stress on the forefathers. They are the key to understanding of who Christ is. They are key to understanding of God's magnanimous and patient waiting and working with us, with humanity, so that to bring about this plan of salvation, to bring about his incarnation. But today's feast also has one characteristic that it's worthwhile looking at, additional characteristic. From all the forefathers, and the patriarchs, and the prophets, and the righteous ones that the Church uh, commemorates, a special reverence, special place is given to the three children in the fiery furnace of Babylon. Both on this Sunday and the Sunday before, there's one canon from the two was dedicated specifically to them. So also the, the dismissal hymn and the of today's feast of the forefathers is dedicated to them. Therefore, there's something special of what happened there in Babylon and why the church stresses it to, in, in, in today's feast. And what is it? It's of course first and foremost is the event that took place that wondrous event that these three children out of all people, all Hebrews that were captives there in Babylon, were the ones who didn't bend their, their, their knee to worship the, that idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And for that, they were cast into furnace. Therefore, they preferred, even in the most adverse circumstances, in a place away from their homeland, alone, and, and being deprived from the solace of the temple and so forth, they chose faith, they chose faith, faithfulness to God in in face of such an imminent death and destruction that the most important, most powerful person in the world was not able to intimidate them, but they stood fast to confess their faith in one true God, God of Israel. But not what happened when they were cast in the furnace. A great epiphany happened. A great theophany happened that our Savior himself descended in the form of an angel, and saved them. For that is what it means that the angel came down and refreshed them in the furnace. If you look at the icon of the three children with the angel with them, you will see that the angel has Jesus Christos. Meaning that it was our Savior Himself before His incarnation who descended as a four in the form of the angel and <coughs> saved them and refreshed them. And they, there, seeing who there was among them, brought about the whole creation the, the, the stars and the sun and the moon and the uh, uh, clouds and the snow and the, all the animals and the sea animals and so forth to uh, worship God and to praise Him and to exalt Him unto the ages. So the occurrence itself of what happened there in Babylon is truly unique. Nothing like that, such a great revelation of God himself being present among his people. Very rarely in the Old Testament, there was God speaking to Moses in the bush in, 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 uh, on Sinai. There was God directing him have his people and making a great miracle of the passage through the sea from Egypt to the uh, holy Land. But this of God. Of our Savior himself descending in the form of an angel and, gra- and, and sparing and saving his faithful ones is a truly momentous, it's a truly profound event. And that is why the Church commemorates her with, so, with this event with so much love and so much exaltation. But there's something deeper, something very important also to uh, even um, deeper to, to understand of why this event was important. The prayer that Azarias prayed in the furnace is a most profound prayer that one can call it is a recipe of righteousness. If we want to understand how the righteous became righteous, what is the mindset, what is the the heart and mind and and spirit of the righteous people, how they attain to righteousness, that prayer is the key. That was the prayer that brought our Savior down from heaven to uh, spare them and to save his chosen ones in the fiery furnace. Therefore, if we look into this prayer, we will see great abundance of treasures that will be helpful to us to understand what is the mindset of the saints, what is the mindset that brings down God from heaven to help us and to be with us and to fight for us. Therefore, let us go to examine this prayer, the prayer of Azarias, which he prayed in the fiery furnace, to understand why church honors this event so much. What do they start with? They say, blessed art thou, O God of our fathers, embraced and glorified is thy name unto the ages. Meaning that the first thing that comes to the mind of the righteous, whether in, in he is in jubilation or whether he is in distress, whether no matter what the situation is, to praise, worship, thank, glorify God for everything. That is the first thing, the first utterance of a righteous man in his mind, in his heart, in his lips, is to, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, to praise, worship, thank God for anything to glorify him. But what happens next? What does Azarias say next? He says that, we have sinned, we have done iniquity. That is, he confesses that they are sinners, unworthy of even of this praise that they're given, that they're given to, to our Saviour. And he's saying this, having confessed God at the expense of his own life and being in the furnace, he still considers himself unworthy of God. And he says, Rightly you have done what you have done to us. That is, all the calamities that befall our, befell our people, that the Babylonians came and plundered Jerusalem and we lost the temple, and there is no sacrifice, there is no incense, there is no leader, there is no priest, we have, are entirely desolate, and in the hands of this, the most wicked king rightly have done so, because we have sinned. Therefore, the second thing that these children are confessing after glorifying God is that whatever befell them, it was because of our own ri- unrighteousness. Our our own sins. God is not unjust. God does not do things arbitrarily. God does not allow things to happen upon us just because. Because it's the sin that, that draws us away from God and we become prey, we become victims of all the calamities, both spiritual and physical. Therefore, the second thing in this confession, in this prayer, is to confess that we are sinners, that everything that happens to us, is because of our sinfulness. But if we had tried to draw nigh to God, to to be near to him, we'd be spared of all these things. And they confess this in the midst of the fire, but they don't stop there. Then comes the repentance. Then comes the, the offering that is truly acceptable to God. What do they say? but in the spirit of humility and in brokenness of heart, accept our prayer. That's the only thing that they have to offer. Their repentance, their humility, their humiliation, that their heart is not proud. They don't boast of anything, but rather it's broken. It's it's shattered in in front of God. And they offer this brokenness of heart, this humility and repentance, as the only acceptable offering to God. And they bring it to Him to say this take and and accept it instead of all the sacrifices and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings and the temple offerings, this take and, 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 and accept inside of you our Savior as our offering. And what do they add? For whose sake? They don't even say that for their sake and for their brokenness of heart. They add this most, the key to all this, for the sake of our Father's. That's what they had. For the sake of Abraham, thy servant. For the sake of Isaac, thy uh, beloved one. For the sake of Israel, that is Jacob, your holy one. For their sake, accept this our prayer. For their love that they had for you. For the sanctity that they had. For all the righteousness that they had. For the love that they had for your commandments and kept them. For their sakes, accept this our prayer and our repentance. This, beloved Christians, is a recipe of righteousness. This is the mindset. These are the steps of how one prays to God, of how he uh, cultivates relationship to God. All the righteous that became righteous, righteous follow the blueprint that is cons- contained in this prayer of Azarias. That is why the Church loves so much this prayer, and that we should, as much as we can, read it whenever we can, just as we read the 50th Psalm of David, which is the psalm of repentance, and the Church repeats it constantly. So, and, and just as she adds a prayer of Man- uh, Manasseh as a prayer of repentance during the Lent, we should also try, whenever we can, to read this prayer of Azarias to remind ourselves What is the spirit of the righteous? How do they become righteous? Let us apply this then to our lives. And let us say that no matter what, there are no circumstances so terrible where we can do anything, that we have to do something at the expense of our faith. God will be always there to help us. They will be always there to see us through. And if we say that no matter what happens, I will do first, this is what I will be faithful to, to my faith and never do anything at the expense of my faith, even if it was to save my life, then we know that our heart is truly straight with God, that we are offering Him worship and praise that He that, that, that is righteous. That is the first and foremost, to have this my, my mindset, to have this preparedness, to have this readiness that here I am and no, there is no situation, which will force me to forfeit my, my faithfulness to my faith. My faith is the center, the root, the beginning and the end of my life. And this, upon it, upon it rests everything else. And if I have to sacrifice everything else, I will do so. I will do so in order to safeguard this treasure, this gem, which is my faith. That is first and foremost. But second, never to be puffed up because of it, but to say, I'll be despite the fact that I have not stretched my hands to this strange God, nor called upon an alien God, I am a sinner. I am a sinner beyond all men. I am a sinner. And whatever happens in my life that is a calamity, because of my sinfulness, because of my unrighteousness, it happens. But let us not stop there. And let us offer the prayer of repentance to say, Our Savior, I have nothing to offer to you except my broken heart. My broken heart, humiliated heart. This is the offering that is uh, worthy of you. This is the offering that I want to offer you. But do not listen for my sake because I'm unworthy. But listen to my prayer for the sake of of our fathers, for the sake of all the saints that went before who was am member, member of the same church as they, unworthy though I be, for all the saints both who came before our Saviour's coming and who followed after His coming, I mean, the prophets, the apostles, the martyrs, the saints, all the righteous, for their sake receive this prayer, because they did righteousness. I am unrighteous. They fulfilled your will. They loved you like I don't love you. Therefore, that is why the church begins and ends all her prayers by saying through the prayers of our holy fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. That is how we end our prayers, that we offer our praise, our confession of sins, our repentance by sealing it by bringing down the prayers of the saints, not trusting our own righteousness, not trusting even our own prayers, but rather the prayers and the love that they had for God. Let us, therefore, take this to heart, beloved Christians, especially on this day, to see how the Church prepares us for the nativity of our Savior, how the Church prepares us by bringing to mind all the righteous and how they became righteous. Of this may I say you also to much worthy. Amen.